Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Hi, and welcome to Sorceress, a podcast where I chat with authors and audiobook narrators about books and especially audiobooks in the urban fantasy category. If you dig wisecracking wizards, conflicted lycanthropes, antagonistic undead, and all those other things that go bump in the night and then get bumped back, you're in the right place. So make yourself comfortable, salt the doors and the windowsills, and join me, James Anderson Foster, as we get to know the creators of this fascinating genre. Okay, so here it is, the final episode of season one. We made it. Um, so what's in store for season two, you may be wondering. If you've been reading along on our website or on our, our Facebook page, you know that season two is going to be a little bit different. First of all, season two begins the first week of January 2019. Uh, what are you going to do for December? Don't worry. We're going to re-air some of the more popular and some of my favorite episodes from this first season. So you'll still have something coming every week. Uh, but starting in January 2019 for season two, we're going to start some new programming. We're going to serialize an urban fantasy novel. It'll be about a chapter a week, depending on length. If they're, if they're short chapters, we'll do multiple ones. Uh, you know, so you're still getting about the same length of podcast episode each week. And we're just going to tell the expanding story until it's done. Uh, once the uh, once the story's done, then we're also going to release that as a complete audiobook available on Audible.com, iTunes, and everywhere fine audiobooks are sold. Uh, we might even offer it for sale on our website, Sorceress. Uh, you know, S O R. Uh, Got to remember how to spell that. S O R C E R O dot U S because it's weird because we're like that. Anyway, um, that's the plan. And, uh, you know, depending on the length of the book, I already know what it is. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe we'll do two. Maybe we'll do three. Maybe we'll just do one and it'll take the entire length of the season. You'll have to listen along to find out. So what's the story? We're going to be serializing Awakened. It's book one of the Paragons trilogy, written by author C. Stephen Manley, who we had on as a guest this season, and it was a fantastic episode. And I'm so excited about this uh, because it hits on a number of themes that we actually talked about, uh, that I talked about with several authors and narrators. Uh, it's urban fantasy, obviously. It's a little darker, um, and there's uh, a, a really interesting sort of superhero crossover, you know? Uh, for example, we, we, well, I've talked about it. I even talk about it in this upcoming episode with author E.A. Copen coming up. Uh, you know, what happens when you take the cape off of Doctor Strange and put a trench coat on him? Well, he becomes your standard urban fantasy character, right? Uh, what happens when you take the trench coat off of Harry Dresden and put a cape on him instead? Uh, he's kind of Doctor Strange. There's there's so much uh, possibility there for crossover. I'm really excited about it. So um, here's the blurb from the book, okay? When dark portals open, 
paragons will awaken. Israel and Aaron are strangers who wake up in a dark sub-basement with no memory of how they got there. As they work together to escape, they encounter the clandestine sentry group and are thrust into a hidden subculture of monsters, secret societies, and carefully concealed history. The truth of human history isn't the only surprise waiting for them, though, as the power hidden deep within their DNA suddenly manifests. A man cursed with monstrous hunger, a woman who can bend space and time. As a cult devoted to the Dark Old Ones plots to unleash their hellish masters upon the planet, will Israel and Aaron stand against the coming darkness or stand back and let humanity fend for itself? Awakened, Paragon's Book One is a dark fantasy with a sci-fi thriller twist. If you like real characters in unreal situations, then you'll love C. Stephen Manley's Paragon Trilogy. Get a copy now and find out what it means to be awakened. I mean, come on. How can you not love this premise? So that's what we're doing. Uh, we'll, we'll start off the first week of January uh, with an interview, another interview with uh, author uh, C. Stephen Manley, specifically about the book, you know, the, the ideas behind it, um, what we can expect, maybe uh, maybe a couple spoilers, but but not many. And then week after week, you will get your your episode of of this overarching, you know, book one story arc. I, I, I hope you enjoy it. I've, I've already devoured about two thirds of the book. I absolutely love it. I, I have, uh, you know, a big plans for how to deliver this to you. Uh, so I hope you stay with us. Tell your friends, bring them along. This is going to be fantastic. So season two, January 3rd, 2019. I hope to see you there. And now, without further ado, our final episode of our first season. Uh, don't forget, though, December, still getting episodes, just, you know, reruns of uh, some of my favorites. Anyway, uh, I'll let you have at this episode, and I'll talk to you again in, man, just a month. I have got a lot of work to do. Enjoy. So this week we're joined by author E.A. Copen. E.A. Copen lives deep in the deep, dark woods outside one of the most haunted cities in Ohio. While working a boring retail job, she entertained herself with stories of the fantastic, some of which became books like Guilty by Association, Death Rites, and Broken Empire. She speaks three languages fluently, English, Latin, and sarcasm. E.A. is currently studying to become proficient in memes. EA, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for being on. Uh, right out of the gate, I have a couple of questions for you. Okay. One, um, I'm located in Cincinnati. So, oh. you know, south, west, a uh, little, little corner there. Um, can I ask where you're located? Are you, I assume you're north of me? Yes, I live just outside of Athens. Ah, and Athens is the most haunted city in Ohio? See, that's where I was going with this. I wanted to know which city was the most haunted. I mean, some people say so. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> I went on a, a, another narrator friend, and I went on a ghost walk of Cincinnati uh, not too long ago. And, uh, I, you know, it was, it was entertaining. Uh, you know, we, we certainly weren't accosted by poltergeists or, or, or anything 
like that. So clearly I need to go north. Yeah, um, we have the old uh, mental health asylum, the Ridges. That's there oh, in Athens. Jeez, yeah. um, how many nights did I spend walking around up there while I was in college? Uh, <laughs> I, I did a little amateur ghost hunting when I was younger. So we spent a lot of evenings up there, you know, trying to get the EVPs and get stuff on camera. Mm-hmm. Do you still do any of uh, this? Oh, no. No, I have kids. I can't go out at 2 a.m. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I take that to mean that you are, um, if not solidly in the, yes, there are ghosts camp, you are definitely in the, hey, there might be. Yeah, I, I would consider myself to be more there. There's something out there that maybe we don't have an explanation for. I don't know if it's ghost or, you know, maybe we have thin spots where we're interacting with another dimension or something like that. But there's definitely some weird stuff that normal science doesn't explain. I am right there with you. Uh, you know, and honestly, that's that's part of what fuels my love of urban fantasy because so much of it is, I mean, it, it's set in the normal everyday world and there's just enough of the not so normal, uh, you know, that, that it, it, it matches my, um, I guess my hope. I don't want to say my assumption about how the universe works, but my hope that, you know, yeah, there's, there are things we can't explain. There's stuff out there, whether it's, you know, ghosts, wizards, vampires, or like you said, you know, some, some other plane that we just bump up against something, you know, I just, I, I love these books that, that focus on that. You know what? Yeah. What if? Yeah. Real life is so boring. It's nice to have something, uh, the hope that there's something more exciting out there and that normal people can interact with that. And that's what I love about urban fantasy. So is that what, prompted your uh, your beginning to write in this genre? Actually, it's really funny how I got into it. My stepdaughter was really into Twilight. And you know how everybody says, oh, I could write a better vampire story than that. Mm -hmm. So I actually tried to do it. <laughs> and, and it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. But I fell in love with books like The Dresden Files and Mercy Thompson and Kate Daniels kind of along the way and just decided that that's what I like writing. So you, you basically decided you were going to write the things that you were interested in and right. would like to read. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So I, you know, in, in doing a little bit of research on you uh, so that I, I didn't sound like a complete idiot for this uh, on the show, <laughs> um, uh, going out to your website, eacopen.com and uh, looking at the books. Now I knew about death rites, Right. Because a narrator friend of mine, uh, Travis Baldry, narrated it for you. I did not realize that it's like a five-book series, that you've got another six-book, uh, the Judah Black novels. I mean, there, you've got a lot of books. You've, you've written quite a bit. Yeah, there's a lot of books out. <laughs> I've, only, I've been publishing for about two and a half years. So you're really cranking them out. Yeah, the one... The one thing I know I can do right is I can write really fast. <laughs> <laughs> you and Stephen King. I think he puts out like three books a day. Three so, books a day. <laughs> yeah. um, now, uh, the, the Judah Black novels and the Lazarus Codex, those look like your, your two big series. Are, is, are either one done or are they ongoing? 
Uh, both of those are ongoing. I'm kind of taking a break from the Judah Black stuff for a little bit. I just started working on the fifth book, uh, but it's been about a year since I put one of those out. Okay. Now I'm I'm super curious about and, and I I want to talk about the audiobook process uh too but first off um <clears throat> you have you you've done what I think is I I don't know if it's terribly difficult but it seems relatively uncommon and I have a caveat that I'm going to add to that so I don't sound like an idiot for making that statement um in, in that you know your uh the, the death rites organ grind shallow grave um, the Lazarus Codex series, your protagonist is a male. Yes. And it, typically we don't see female authors writing male characters. And then the caveat that I said I wanted to add is that I know that often female authors will write under a male pseudonym and do exactly that and do just fine. Um, but I was, I was surprised when, uh, you know, scheduling the interview and I was like, oh yeah, EA Cope. And I know, I know him was my first thought. <laughs> I get that a lot, actually. Um, I don't know. I've always just gotten along better with, uh, boys growing up. Uh, you know, I, I've, I got into urban fantasy through Dresden Files, you know, male protagonist. Mm -hmm. And I had, I started publishing with the Judah Black stuff and she's not particularly a super feminine protagonist um, because I'm not a super feminine woman, you know, but I don't know. It's just, I considered doing it under a male pen name, but I already had urban fantasy out and I thought, you know, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> but I do get Mr. Copen quite a bit, especially since putting out the Lazarus novels. Yeah. Is there any difference between writing a male protagonist versus a female protagonist? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of the, the thought processes, sometimes when I do an inner monologue, I'll send part of it to my husband and be like, is this how men think? Is that how, <laughs> is that how that goes? <laughs> and especially when I'm looking at uh, writing, uh, romantic relationships are very different because Lazarus is all about um, have to protect people. He's very protective. And Judah has that instinct too, but she's also more concerned with um, family as a whole and large group units. And Lazarus has maybe like two or three people that are really important to him. So just different dynamics. And he's a different character in general. So he's, he's dealing with different things and in a different world. He doesn't have, uh, like Judah being a woman in law enforcement, she's definitely facing you know, some uphill stuff with her career that he doesn't have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had kind of figured, and, and in fact, I was surprised by your response. I was expecting kind of something along the lines of, well, you know, the contexts are different. They're different characters. And so I write, but, you know, their gender doesn't really factor into it. So I was actually surprised that you led off with, no, absolutely. They, you know, I, I have to, you know, I, I have my external resource, my husband, to verify, <laughs> is this how men think? Um, I'm kind of surprised by that. I I didn't I didn't realize we thought all that terribly differently. But <laughs> a lot of times the answer the answer is, you know, it's not that different. Um but they're also coming from like different worlds where Lazarus is an ex-con. He's been to prison. My husband has some training in correctional officer stuff. So mm -hmm. um I get his take on that a lot. 
And she's obviously on the other side of the law. She's a federal agent. So I know what it's like being a woman in a career where you constantly are having other people question your ability. And you, and often when I was at, at work outside the home, I, I did have this feeling that, oh, I have to work twice as hard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that is so, was this intentional that you had, you know, they're, these two characters are just, I mean, they're, they're very opposite, male, female, uh, law enforcement, former convict. Um, was that intentional or was it just that, that that's how it kind of happened? Um, a lot of the stuff that got put into the Lazarus Codex is sort of leftover bits and pieces that didn't fit into Judah Black. So yeah, it, it is intentional that they're kind of two sides of the same coin. I, I wanted to explore the other the underworld side of the law when I set out to write him. So you, you, you've mentioned a couple of times that they're, they're just different worlds. Does that mean there's no chance of any sort of crossover down the line? Oh no, they're, they're very different worlds in the Judah black universe. Supernaturals are out. Everybody knows about them and their, her job is to police them and Mm -hmm. um, solve supernatural crimes, but she's also enforcing some kind of questionable laws where, you know, they have to have permission to get married. They they have to have permission to move or they can't hold certain jobs. There's a lot of dystopian discrimination type stuff going on. Whereas in the Lazarus Codex, it's still a very secret world that he's a part of. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that leads me to uh, a question that I, I love to ask authors and, and hear, hear their thoughts on, uh, which is, is there... Is there something about urban fantasy that allows you to explore the human condition or society in ways that you couldn't in, uh, you know, without, I guess, being too on the nose in just straight, uh, you know, fiction, you know, current modern literature? Uh, and so you mentioned the the dystopian aspects of the Judah Black novels, and I was wondering, you know, what what kinds of things are you are you able to explore by putting it on the supernaturals rather than, you know, kind of throwing things, uh, you know, in the, the reader's face. Did that make sense? Yeah. Um, oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I worry that I ramble sometimes. The biggest thing in the Judah Black universe is that ultimately humans are the worst monsters. Um, it, mm-hmm. The main character is a human and she's living among vampires, werewolves and they and... Um, she kind of comes in with this attitude of I'm going to fix this town and I'm I'm going to you know save these people and they don't really they don't need her to save them. They just need somebody to to understand and to help them advocate for themselves. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Any uh any sort of uh deeper societal uh comments or or explorations going on with the uh, the Lazarus Codex books or is that just uh, grab your bowl of popcorn and, and enjoy. Um, well, one of the things about the Lazarus Codex is the setting. It takes place in New Orleans. And I have um, a white male protagonist who, you know, spoiler alert, winds up in a relationship with a black female. And so one of the things that I'm going to be working on integrating more as the series progresses is how race kind of figures into it and how it makes their lives complicated, especially when in the next book that I'm going to be working on, you have family showing up. 
I assume hers, not his. Yes. Okay. He, he does, he's no longer in contact with most of his family. So, <laughs> so, so what is his story? Um, like what's his background? Yeah. I mean, what's for, for people that, that maybe uh, aren't familiar with this series, uh, you know, what, uh, where, where does he come from? Where's he going? Um, he's sort of like your blue collar wizard type character. He's an, a necromancer. Um, and he's been to prison. Uh, he went to prison basically for being in the wrong place at the wrong time and doing the wrong thing about it. Um, but he's kind of, he's taken his, his licks and he's back out in the world and ready to, he really wants to make a difference. Um, but he's also kind of, he runs this seedy occult shop where he tells fortunes and does the tarot reading and all of that. And, you know, he outright says, you know, I'm a con, but sometimes con men can make, make people feel better, you know? So yeah, he'll talk to the spirit of your dead cat or whatever, but um, at the same time, it's, what's it's in shallow grave where he's like retrieving this lot, this urn, of somebody's remains that was lost in a hurricane and he views his job as to help people. And it's sort of like to make up for what he feels he did wrong that got him sent to prison in the first place. So he's sort of on a path of his own personal redemption there. Yes. Okay. Nice. So we have three of your books in audio. The first, uh, Judah Black, uh, the first Death Rites, the first in the Lazarus Codex, and then Beasts of Babylon. Um, first off, uh, do you have plans on getting the other books in audio? And then depending on how long that answer is, uh, what was the process of getting your books into audio like for you? Oh, I would like to get them all in audio eventually. Um, I like audiobooks, but the problem for audiobooks for me is that when people read to me and it's really good, I fall asleep because <laughs> it, it's really <laughs> calming to me. You know, I've, I was read to a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. So um, I would like to get them all eventually turned into audiobooks, but it, it is a, a process. Um, the three that I have done, uh, I basically have a 50-50 split for royalties with the narrator, which means mm -hmm. I didn't have to put up a whole bunch of money up front, but it is kind of, it, it's a, an expensive process. Um, so I kind of have to wait until I have the money to do more, <laughs> but yes, I would really love to do more. So what was it like for you to experience your stories in, in this new way? Right. I mean, I, you, the, these characters are part of you, right? You, you, you created them, you, you gave birth to them, everything, you know, it, it's all in your head and then in your hands as you're writing it. And then suddenly it's up to somebody else to start acting out these characters and giving voice to these things that up until now you've only heard in your head. What's that been like for you? Um, well, in a word, exciting. Um, <laughs> it, it really is just like holding your book for the first time in your hand, only you're hearing it. And I hear my character's heads, my character's voices in my head when I'm writing it. Um, and obviously the, the audiobook doesn't quite match up exactly, but I think 
in a lot of ways, the audiobooks that get produced that have been produced for me are better than the voices in my head. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at uh, Death Rites right now, the Lazarus Codex Book One again, narrated by uh, my friend narrator Travis Baldry, and uh, it just came out uh, the 16th of well, last month now, I guess it were in November again, uh, but it's so it's only been out a couple of weeks. And it's already got some fantastic reviews, a ton of great ratings. Um, so people seem to both really like uh, the book and and him doing the book. So first off, con- congratulations on on that, on the great ratings. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going like gangbusters. Yeah, he nailed it. He Travis really nailed it when he did the the voices for it. Um, listening to the files, I. Uh, I fell out of my chair at one point laughing. <laughs> and, and he's he's funny. Lazarus pulls a lot of jokes and a lot of pop culture references and that sort of thing. But like when I'm writing that, I'm like, haha, this is a little funny. But when when Travis was reading it, I'm like, oh my God, that's hilarious. And I actually had to call my husband in here. I'm like, listen to this. This is so funny. And it, it doesn't feel like it's anything that I've wrote. It's like alive at its own nebulous thing. That's awesome. So I, I take it then you're going to keep him for the series. I would love to. Okay, good. Because fans hate it when you switch. Oh, I know. <laughs> series. Um, so what was it like working with him? Did you have a, a close working relationship with him? Or was it just, here's the book and I'll listen when you're done? Or Oh, no. We, we emailed back and forth. And um, he was awesome enough that when he ran into like a part that wasn't clear or there, there was like a small error, he would email it to me and I'd be like, oops. <laughs> so, so that I could fix the book. And uh, one of the most awesome things that he did in my mind was before he got started, he emailed me uh, like a casting list of, oh, this is who this character reminds me of. And, and this is how I'm going to do this voice. And I'm like, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So did it, uh, you know, did it jive with, you're thinking on the characters yes oh good good keep going i'm sorry i I think i interrupted you there well i mean to me that that tells me that little author celebration i got it right (laughs) so i the voice that i wanted to come through came through and then he just brought it to life in a whole new way it was awesome fantastic so how did you how did you find him um just I put the the sample up on ACX and emailed a couple different people. I believe that he was one of the people who I listened to some of their samples that they had done on other work and shot him an email and be like, "Hey, can you try out for this? I think you'd be a good fit." And and, and he did. Yeah. And you heard his sample and thought that's that's my guy. Yep. It was spot Excellent. on. Fantastic. I I, I love hearing stories like that. I was actually a, a little bit afraid that, you know, especially since I had mentioned at the beginning that I, I knew Travis and it's like, oh, you know, as soon as I asked, what was it like working with him? I thought, oh, what if it was horrible? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really great. And, um, and in fact, I would really like for him to come back and, and do the rest of them. Well, it, it sounds like uh, the fans would as well, because yeah, like I said, this is Getting getting five stars, five and four stars everywhere. Overall, he's got uh, 4.7 out of five uh, for the performance. That That is not bad at all. So congratulations, both of you. 
Um, so how about the other books? You know, you've got one book in both series started. Um, any difference going through, uh, you know, the, the Judah Black versus? Um, to tell you the truth, it's been quite a while since I had the Judah Black one done. <laughs> I don't remember a ton about it. Um, but. So, I mean, plans to continue going or? Oh, yes. Yes, I would like to in the future. I just kind of had to take a, a break from the Judah Black stuff. Uh, I wanted to kind of write something funnier. It's the Judah Black books are just a little bit dark. And sometimes uh, that's hard. That's hard for me to live in for a long period of time. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to go work on something. You know, Lazarus is a lot funnier. He's a, a little lighter sometimes. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a very popular trope in urban fantasy in general. And, and I am a, I'm actually a huge fan of tropes. I think, uh, when you like a genre, it's because you like things about the genre. So, you know, if, if you have a wise cracking wizard, that's fine, right? I mean, if, if somebody says, oh, well, you know what, Harry Dresden did, you know what, I, I don't care. That's why I'm reading another urban fantasy book. That's what I like. I, I want that, you know, I, I want that. So, yeah, I, I can totally see wanting to kind of focus on, you know, a wise cracking, funnier wizard. Right, and, I, and I've been asked before, you know, was Dresden an inspiration for this? And the answer is absolutely. I am in love with Harry Dresden. <laughs> and, you know, I've read those books front to back two or three times. Um, so I view this sort of as kind of me being in a conversation with that part of the genre. Mm -hmm. um, Lazarus and Dresden are very different characters. Uh, you know, Harry Dresden is the wizard in Chicago that does these big explosive spells. Meanwhile, Lazarus is, he's a necromancer. He lives in New Orleans and, um, he, he also, through the course of the first book, becomes the Pale Horseman. So you've got the Four Horsemen stuff going on with him, too. So very different worlds. But I, I just kind of borrowed a little bit like, oh, I want my own wisecracking wizard, but I'm going to make him a necromancer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm willing to be wrong on this, and I kind of don't care. I, I, I absolutely look at Jim Butcher and the Dresden File books as, as sort of the the real progenitor of the urban fantasy series, at the very least, the, the big kick to their, their popularity. <clears throat> um, I know, I know he wasn't the first, but I would definitely say that Jim Butcher's Dresden Files created a sort of revival in the genre yeah. and, and changed how people look at it. So have you listened to the audiobooks for the Dresden Files? I have listened to one. I listened to the Skin Game audiobook. Um, it's like I said before. It's kind of hard for me to get through audiobooks because <laughs> when they're good, I fall asleep. I get relaxed and I fall asleep. So, so if you fall but, asleep, that's a good review. Yes, <laughs> that means it's it's. I zoned out just listening to you know the 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 voice, and it right. carried me away, and I fell asleep. The, the the soothing tones of James Marsters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, are, are you a, a full-time author now? I am. Okay. So 
I, I, I have a number of friends that are, that are authors. I've, I've talked to a number of authors uh, through this podcast, and you know, there are varying degrees among them of full-time versus, no, I've got a day job and this is the side gig. Uh, what did it take for you to get to this point where you are a full-time author? What did you, what did you have to do, and what did you have to give up to get to this point where you could be, no, I'm, I am a full-time author. Uh, well, the easiest part of that question to answer is what I had to give up. And the answer to that is time. A lot of time. Uh, I spend probably nine to 10 hours a day in my office. If I'm not writing, I'm working on something to do with the author stuff, you know, emails and posting to fan groups, replying to, messages that people have sent me or outlining and planning the next thing. Mm -hmm. And as for what I did to, to get this far, I don't know. <laughs> I, I wrote books <laughs> and people like them. So yeah, just more books and being willing to take a risk and really put stuff, put myself out there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm naturally a very, very shy person. So for me to do any advertising or promoting myself and saying, Hey, I, I'm awesome. I wrote these books. It's really, really hard for me. And I think a lot of writers are, are like that. We're introverts, which is why we live in books. Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to overcome, especially, you know, for me, I'm dealing with uh, anxiety and depression and that sort of thing. So it's just one day you just wake up and you go, it's worth it. Yeah. I'm going to do it and I'm going to take the risk. Do you think that it, being both an introvert and then also uh, anxiety and depression, do, do you think that this contributes to your ability to get inside the heads of the characters that you're writing? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And um, I use that, my the, the stuff that I'm dealing with, to write a lot of stories. Um, one of the books that I put out this year, Cold Spell, is about uh, there's a, a monster at the North Pole and the werewolves are taking it down. But to me, when I wrote that and when I read it after it was over, I said, I personified my depression and then I killed it. Hmm. And, and how cathartic was that for you? I mean, it works to a point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, killing things is always therapeutic uh, in books. And video yes. games. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for specifying <clears throat> in books. Um, so you, you'd mentioned that if you're not, uh, first off, if you're not outlining, so I assume that means you're an outliner and not a seat of your pantser uh, when it comes to writing. About 50-50. I, I make outlines and whether or not I stick to them to any degree is kind of up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever started without an outline and just decided to see where it goes? I have. And... As a matter of fact, this NaNoWriMo is going on right now. And what I'm working on right now, I have no outline. I don't even have a list of characters. I just sat down on the first and said, I'm going to write an epic fantasy. Which, you know, I haven't read one of those in six months. So <laughs> how's it going? I mean, we're, uh, we're three I'm, days in. So yeah, I'm about 7,000 words into it. Wow. Uh, That's not bad. Yeah. And, and do you know where it's going yet, or are you just going to wait I and have, see? I have a vague idea. I have characters who have goals, 
and I need to thwart those goals. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, are, are are people going to see this? Uh, can can you tell us? Can, you know, give us an idea of what it is, or is this just uh, you know you're you're doing NaNoWriMo, and then if it you know, if it goes, doesn't go anywhere, nobody's ever going to see the, you know, it's not going to see the light of day or, or are we going to see an epic fantasy from uh, EA Copen? Um, I would like to publish it. What I'm thinking is probably I'm going to try to shop it around to do traditionally published because it's, it's, I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. So might as well try something different. Um, so yes, I do plan on publishing it, but I want to see what I can get uh, bites wise from traditional publishing and see what happens with that. Okay. So was self-publishing, was that a, a conscious decision of yours at the very beginning? It was, um, when I was in college, I took an elective class called literary editing. I thought it was going to be a class on how to edit. And it turned out to be a class on how to put together, uh, self-published books. So, um, up until that point, I had only heard of traditional publishing and I had been querying agents and all kinds of stuff for, you know, 10 years with different things. Um, and then when we did that in class, I was like, this is all there is to it. I can do that. <laughs> and you did. I did, but uh, that's not all there was to it because that class didn't cover advertising and email lists and interacting with fans and that sort of thing. Definitely didn't cover audiobooks. <laughs> So uh, do you do you enjoy the control though that that self-publishing gives you? I mean you're you're basically you're in charge of of everything from, you know, picking out book covers uh, or hiring people to make book covers to formatting to uh, you know and and in regular publishing, I mean that's you you kind of hand over the manuscript and then cross your fingers that uh you know they they know what they're doing when they put it all together. Yeah, I do like having a lot of control over things that I know well, <laughs> uh, which is why with the epic fantasy, it's not something that I know really well. So I would rather hand that over to an expert who does know how to market it. Mm -hmm. And marketing takes up so much of my time that most of my effort is focused towards urban fantasy. So for me to take up, you know, an epic fantasy, it's it's going to be a different group of people different covers, things that I don't know as well. Yeah. And now, I could learn that, but it, it just would take so much time. I'd rather be writing. Are you going to publish this under uh, EA Copen? Yes. Okay. Because I've heard from some authors that uh, that do kind of out-genre stuff from their norm, that they're they're worried about basically confusing their audience. I think there's enough crossover between like epic fantasy and urban fantasy that it, that won't be so much of a problem. Mm -hmm. I do have a science fiction book out with a micro publisher in the UK. And I did kind of run into a little bit of that because most of my urban fantasy readers are not science fiction readers. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of wish that maybe I'd done that under a different name, but. Okay. So you also mentioned that you spend, you know, eight or nine hours in there researching. So I'm, I'm curious, what percentage, especially for like the Lazarus Codex books, do you find yourself pulling from actual history and folklore? I mean, New Orleans and, and voodoo, of course, is, is right there uh, versus just having to, you know, 
create and, and make up stuff on your own? Um, I always try to pull from existing myths and kind of borrow things and maybe twist them a little bit for my purposes. Um, so the last book that I wrote, the one that it's not out yet, but, um, he spends part of his, the book in hell in different hells. And so each one of those is based on a different mythology. You've got, uh, the Norse underworld, the Greek underworld, uh, the Babylonian underworld, and all of those are based on descriptions that I found in myth. But I don't like to borrow um, personalities because a lot of times in myth, the gods are either really stiff and boring or it's just been done. So, you know, when I did Hades, he's like this big jock dude bro, you know, (laughs) because I thought that would be fun. So what I do is I just try to inject personality into a myth and kind of use things. Yes, I have used some stuff from from Voodoo, um, but I haven't actually had a chance to do as much as I would like with the New Orleans setting. Mm-hmm. So hopefully in the upcoming books, I'll get to do that. Nice. So you, you, you take what's already there historically and, and mythologically and kind of give it your own spin. Right. Nice. Um, <clears throat> now, I'm going to... I'm going to go out on a limb and say I know the answer to this question already, just because you mentioned that in college you were kind of an amateur uh, parapsychologist going out and investigating uh, for ghosts. Were you a weird kid? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, I was the weird kid. Um, (laughs) So not just a, but the weird kid. Yeah. um, I don't know. All my friends were like the goth kids and, uh, the, I've kind of made it a point while I was growing up to be friends with the people who didn't have friends. Cause they always had an interesting things to say because nobody else talked to them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I've been weird since I was, <laughs> I, how long have you been weird? I've been weird since I was two. Uh, I don't, my whole life's just been weird. Okay. So, yeah. So you're still weird today. Oh, absolutely. My kids will tell you that. <laughs> you know, the, the best authors are. I agree with that. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not, if you're boring, if your life is boring, if your inner life is boring, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to guess what you write might be a little boring. Nobody wants that. Right. Um, okay. Now, calling back to the, the brief bio of yours where you are fluent in three languages, um, are you really fluent in Latin? I can read Latin. I can read it out loud. <laughs> my my vocabulary is probably really rusty. Mm-hmm. Um, classical or church Latin? Classical. Okay. I, I took four years in high school and then four units of it in college. So, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if, you, if you throw it at me, I can... I usually can kind of get the general gist of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I get mad at TV shows that use Latin and, and they're chanting for spells and stuff because I'm like, that's incorrect. That's not right. Okay. So have you seen The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Witch? I just started watching that. There's Latin chanting all through that in the spells. How'd they do? I've only seen the first episode. So 
I can't watch it with my kids awake. So it's not, you know, kid friendly. So I don't uh-huh. get to watch it that much. Yeah. Can I ask how old your kids are roughly? 10 and 12. Okay. I have a, a three-year-old and a 13-year-old. And so obviously oh. <laughs> the three-year-old, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> obviously the three-year-old is not watching it, but, uh, you know, I was kind of like, eh, kind of on the fence with the 13-year-old. Like, I I think maybe, maybe not. You know, I, I think it's like got a TV 14 rating or something like that. And so, yeah, he hasn't seen it. But I, I I devoured the whole thing. I loved it. Absolutely. I won't spoil anything for you. But there's a ton of Latin. And I was, uh, you know, I I didn't take Latin in uh, high school. Uh, but I took, I took eight units in college. And I will not tell you how long ago that was. Uh, so, <laughs> um, you know, it's, I, I can, I can, with a good dictionary, manage to, to get some, you know, to translate some things. I could not compose uh, in Latin. My, my endings would never agree. It's my son is he's the school that he's going to. He's been taking Latin oh, for like five years now. Um, and, and he, he's going to keep going with it. It's ridiculous. So I, I kind of like for him to watch the show just because I've got some serious questions about what they got right and some suspicions about what they really screwed up. Uh, I mean, they always one... screw something up though. They oh, always do. Well, there was, um, supernatural's awful about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would think like with a show that's got a budget, like they must have, mm-hmm. they would just hire a, a, like a, a classics professor or something, you know, how, how, di- or, you know, how difficult would it be to have a consultant? You know, they could say, no, that you're, you're, you're nominative or gen- that that's all wrong. Or no, you need evocative <laughs> there or, um, yeah. Okay. That, that was, that's where I was going with the, are you really fluent in Latin is because I just finished watching that. And there were, there were some things that I think were questionable, but <laughs> I'll have to have you back on after you finish watching the show. <laughs> I have a big, uh, Sabrina expose. Well, from what I've seen of it was, it was good. So I do plan on continuing watching it. Just, I haven't had time. It's, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, for, for what it is a, uh, and, and as somebody who grow, grew up during the period of, uh, you know, the, the first run of Sabrina, the teenage witch, uh, th- this is very different, definitely not the same show, uh, but it was good. It's, it's, I really liked it. Um, so overall, do you find yourself consuming urban fantasy related, like in the books you read, the shows you watch, obviously Sabrina, Supernatural, uh, like it, 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 are you urban fantasy across the board or uh, do you like to change it up at times? Oh no. Um, I, I read across pretty much every genre, anything I can get my hands on when I have time and everything on, on TV. I'm actually a huge film buff. I wanted to be a film director when I was younger. So, and I, and I had initially gone to school to, uh, study film. So I'm a, a cinephile. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watch a lot of TV and movies, just November's weird because NaNoWriMo and it eats all sure. my time because I'm trying to work on one book normally. And then I'm, I've got this other thing I'm working on and counting the word count for that. So, okay. 
two things. First off, uh, do you think your uh, love of of TV and cinema? I mean, does does that lend a sort of cinematic quality to your writing? Do you think? I mean, are you are you picturing this as a, a TV show or or movie in your head as you're writing it? Yeah, and and sometimes when. I'm writing a scene, I'll think to myself, if I was the director, what kind of shot would I want there? And how could I describe, get that shot in words? Mm-hmm. So I definitely look at it like I would film. And um, that definitely contributes to how I write. Okay. And then follow up, what's your favorite show? Oh, my favorite TV show or favorite movie? Uh, well, TV show first. We'll, we'll hit movie next. Oh, geez. TV show is a hard one because it's whatever I'm currently watching. Usually. There are so many of them. I, I just finished the latest season of Daredevil, so that one wins for now. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. I, w- I was just talking to somebody about how CW, or not CW, I'm sorry, um, Netflix was just, they're, they're nailing kind of the, the Marvel shows. Uh, Daredevil, The Punisher, uh, Jessica Jones. Oh, I love The Punisher. I, yeah. I love Punisher. Um. So what'd I'm you not think a of big Iron? fan. I was about to say I'm not a big fan of Iron Fist. It kind <laughs> That's of annoys me. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that you've heard they've canceled it, right? Yeah, I did, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, see, now they, uh, I, I was, I'm not surprised either that they. I mean, I, I, I watch uh, Into the Badlands uh, on AFC, and you know, every time I see an, an episode of that, uh, you know, I, I keep thinking, you know, Iron Fist had absolutely zero. Uh, excuse for their crappy martial arts in season yeah. one. I mean, that was that was just awful. Season two, um, my thirteen-year-old and I, we go through all of these shows together, and we were just like, eh, you know, it's just it it, it wasn't it wasn't doing it for us. So yeah, totally not surprised, especially with the the ratings that it got that it got canceled. But uh, Luke Cage also got canceled. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Now that yeah. makes me sad because I liked Luke Cage. Well, it was doing very well. So the fact that both of those were canceled then made me think, okay, so uh, does that mean we're going to see Heroes for Hire? I didn't grow up with comic books, so this oh, is all this okay. is all new to me. <laughs> but, I, was, I was a huge nerd. Well, so <laughs> My husband is. He's a big comic book nerd, and I think I've read maybe five comic books in my life. So I I literally just got into them as an adult. He handed me a stack of the Hellblazer comics and was like, read these. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And those are awesome. They, they are indeed. Yeah. That's when uh, uh, the original, like the Vertigo run. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they tried to clean, uh, clean John up for uh, the regular DC audience not too long ago. And uh, yeah, that did not go over well. Uh, went over about as well as the the first season or the only season of the TV show. Yeah, which makes me sad because I like the idea of this show, but they totally wrecked it. Yeah. Well, you know, they they need to just follow Marvel's uh, lead and move it over to a Netflix or something where where they can be a little darker with it, where where John can actually smoke a cigarette. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> such a core part of his character. It's like, how can you even have him without that? Yeah. So, okay, now, favorite movie? Or Um, at least most recent favorite movie? Army of Darkness. Oh, classic. (laughs) It's just such good, fun, ridiculous. I mean, it's nice and dark and funny all at the same time. It hits all the right buttons for me. 
Yeah. I, uh, my, my 13 year old has grown up with not a, uh, not a fear of horror movies, but a solid aversion to them. You know, they are definitely not his thing. Um, but I got him to watch Shaun of the Dead. Oh, that's a good one. Which, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a little less dark than, uh, you know, but still, you know, it, it's got the whole zombie thing, but he was okay with that. So. I'm really I, picky about my horror movies, but I, I do love horror especially movies, movies more than books. I don't know why, but if I read a horror book, like Stephen King creeps me the heck out, Mm -hmm. even when he's not writing horror, (laughs) I get nightmares. So I'd rather watch, watch a movie, a horror movie than read a horror book. Why is that? I think that just um, when you're reading, you're making up the pictures in your head and whatever your brain can imagine is going to be scarier than whatever your eyes see. Hmm. So, okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's uh, the the movie is. I mean, obviously, it's also shorter in duration than than spending time with the book. And horror is all about. Um, I Beast of Babylon is a horror novel, by the way. <laughs> so uh, it's weird west and horror. Um, so I did write a horror novel, but it, horror is all about the unseen and the unknown, and that's what's terrifying about things in horror movies is it's all the monsters always scarier before you actually get to see it. So, okay. Now what do you see then as, um, the, the biggest difference between horror and urban fantasy? Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the object of horror, the, 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 the beast, the monster, the whatever being unseen and unknown for a great deal of time. I think that's one huge difference. Um, but, but what else? And the reason I ask this is because a friend and I were talking about how, um, we think a, a lot of urban fantasy kind of came out of eighties horror movies because eight, the, the horror movies in the eighties, uh, minus like the, the bikini slasher kind of things, mm-hmm. um, for in large part, were kind of like what we would consider urban fantasy today. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them would have. Uh, you know, kind of magical aspects. Some of them had humor aspects. It was just, it was kind of all over the place. You know, there was no Haunting of Hill House in 1983. Um, But what do you see, you know, especially as somebody who both enjoys reading and writing now in these genres, what do you see as the biggest set of differences between the two? Um, that's hard. For me, when I think of urban fantasy versus horror, urban fantasy has much more noir influence. It's got like, it's more focused on maybe like a city where the setting is going to play a larger role and a different set of tropes. I mean, with horror, you've got, you know, your final girl, your slasher, and none of those are really, you can have slasher, I guess, in urban fantasy, but the bad guys aren't going to win. There's always a hero. And mm-hmm. it's it's just a different set of tropes, I guess. Um, but urban fantasy draws heavily on horror. I mean, that's where vampires came from and werewolves and uh, your uh, dark cult stuff and voodoo and all of that. It comes, mm-hmm. it, It's brought in from horror. So when I think of urban fantasy, I think it's basically a kind of mashup of your nor detective stuff and horror but I tend to write kind of a little bit on the darker side of urban fantasy and I just throw in some humor 
you know? So (laughs) those are the three ingredients to me that make up a good urban fantasy. It's got to be just a little bit scary. There's going to be some kind of mysteriousness going on and you're going to laugh, but you're also going to have feels. You're going to feel bad for the main character Mm -hmm. because, you know, writer's job is to torture their main characters, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, if you then took a, a an urban fantasy and you've got, it's a little dark, it's got a little bit of funny in it, and it's got a, a you know, you're, you're torturing your, your a protagonist. If you dialed down the funny, would you then consider it basically horror? You know, is, is snark the main urban fantasy component or differentiator? It's definitely one of the more popular tropes, but uh, see, that's difficult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Judah's not a snarky character, and she doesn't, the the setting is not a big city. Uh, So I don't know. I think it's just more of an aesthetic, a feel that's that's different. Mm -hmm. Horror is going to be, the goal of it is going to be to scare you. And urban fantasy can be scary, but that's not going to be the main goal of it. I think at its core, urban fantasy is still very much a a good versus evil and heroes prevail type story. Okay. Where, yeah. Whereas in horror, there's no guarantee that uh, the bad guy's not going to win. Right. And even if they do defeat, you know, the, the serial killer or whatever, a lot of times they come back. Yeah. Oh, sure. Or, Interesting. I, you know, I, I, God, I would, I wish we had more time. I would love to explore this more. The, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, if, if you, if you drew a Venn diagram I, of, uh, you know, horror and urban fantasy, um, and, and just like the books that would fall in that center area where you're like, well, you know, that could be, that could be horror, but we kind of call it urban fantasy. But if just this were different versus, no, that's definitely horror or that's definitely, you know, you know I, I would put all Jim Butcher's books in the definitely urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, uh, I mean, Stephen King, some of his kind of bleed over. Right. And it, it kind of depends on who you talk to and whether or not they'll fit in the urban fantasy or are they horror. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he actually calls them magical realism. So <laughs> he just he, he came up with an entirely different genre. Yeah. title. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, when I first started this podcast, I was struggling with what to call it. I think it was, I went through urban, paranormal, supernatural, uh, you know, like, like all of the adjectives kind of stringing them together to try to hit everything. Um, and finally, I just reached out to a couple of publisher friends. And I was like, all right, when you're publishing a book, what do you call this? And even then there was no consensus, but enough of them said urban fantasy that I figured, all right, I'll go with that. And people will at least know what I'm talking about. Right. So, it's, it's, um, I was told that even though paranormal is, is also a good descriptor, a lot of people associate paranormal with paranormal romance. So mm-hmm. when I initially published the Judah Black stuff, I was calling it a paranormal mystery thriller because I didn't know what the right word was either. <laughs> so <laughs> Somebody told me, oh, well, you might want to take paranormal out of there because everybody's going to think it's a romance. So you went straight urban fantasy. Well, it's technically, it doesn't quite fit urban fantasy either because the setting is a small town in Texas. So, uh, and urban fantasy, urban is right in the name. So I'm not, 
I'm not sure what it, it quite fits as, <laughs> but I mean, it's a thriller. So yeah. to me, paranormal well, mystery thriller is the right thing. It just, uh, wait, I'm looking at, uh, the, the listing right now on audible and they have it as suspense under mystery and thrillers. Yeah. What did they do with uh, Death Rites? Oh, see, now they have uh, mystery. Death Rites is supernatural and paranormal under mystery and thrillers. Well, now that, and, and, and ironically, uh, Guilty by Association is where all of the, the supernatural and paranormal creatures are, are out in the open. Yeah. That's bizarre. I wonder if it's just a difference in, like, when it was, when it came out. Because Guilty by Association, that was back in 17, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Or maybe they just throw darts at a board. Well, how Amazon sorts it is all like keywords. They've got a bot that goes through and looks at words that are in the blurb or in the subtitle and uh, in the search terms. So where it winds up, only Amazon knows and how it gets there. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet even Amazon doesn't know anymore. <laughs> like you said, it's, it's all bots. They have yeah. no idea. It, they just let it run. <clears throat> Jeff Bezos is just an, an AI at this point. He, he is Alexa. <laughs> so um, before we wrap things up and, and I let you go. Um, so we've talked about, I, I wanted to find out what's, what's coming from you. Uh, you know, what we can look forward to, obviously there's the potential uh, epic fantasy coming down the line. Uh, and you're, you're giving, uh, your your female protagonist a break. You're letting the the Judah novel Judah Black novels kind of rest for a bit, uh, but we've got more Lazarus Codex coming. Yes, there will be at least six more books for that. Uh, I am working on the next Judah Black novel. Um, they just tend to take me a little longer to write, so sometime first third of next year probably for that one. Um, okay. I've also got a spinoff series for that's connected to the Lazarus Codex that follows uh, two minor characters because I kind of blew up. I made the world bigger in the next book and there's some wars going on and I couldn't tell all the story just from his perspective. And so there's going to be at least a four or five book series. That's a spinoff of that coming out next year. Oh, fantastic. And all of it's going to end up in audio at some point. Hopefully. That would be ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I, well, I look forward to it because as uh, you know, I, um, given both my profession as a narrator and my lack of time as a father of a 13 and a three-year-old, uh, audiobooks are my, my primary mode of reading anymore these days. So, you know, if the rest of the Lazarus Codex doesn't get into audio, I, n I won't ever find out what happens to this guy. So mm. we need to get these made. <laughs> Do I, if, I, if I need to call Travis, let me know. <laughs> it, it's in the cards, <laughs> hopefully in the future. I know he's a busy guy, though. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time working and Amazon's got to pay me. <laughs> there you go. Got to get paid. Otherwise, you're not really doing it as a profession. It's just a hobby and you're starving. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but but my family and kids have become addicted to both having a house and eating. I know. So, What's up with that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, we we we've got the we've got the dog cage here from when we had you know when our dog was a puppy, and I keep thinking you know the three year old would fit. 
Is that is that wrong? <laughs> well, I don't know. My ten year old climbs into the dog cage on occasion and lays there with the dog. So well, you know, you just casually close that gate and <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. They're in the you know the dog's what technically twenty seven now, so it's great. It's fine. <laughs> they can watch them. Um, oh, one more thing before I, I wrap up, and this is totally out of nowhere, but it uh, it came to me when we were talking earlier about uh, the similarity of genres um, and horror and urban fantasy. Now, we were talking earlier about superhero shows. Right. And the the superhero genre is really, I mean, it, it's gaining in popularity. And I've been kind of like playing around with this idea in my head, like how different is the superhero genre from the urban fantasy genre. I mean, if you can, you know, just call all powers magic or conversely call all magic powers. And mm -hmm. it seems like you've kind of got one or the other. Like, I mean, they've got the same ingredients, uh, you know, snark, good versus evil in stark contrast, good's gonna win. Um, am I missing something or am I on to something here? I don't know. I think that there's a lot of crossover. I mean, Doctor Strange, he's a wizard. He's a wizard and he's in a city. That's urban fantasy. Right. I mean, he's in the superhero city, right? He's, right. he's in Manhattan. You don't get more urban than, well, I mean, he's in Greenwich Village, so it's not terribly <laughs> urban. But still, um, yeah, okay. I think um, I heard somebody say that it's defined by how they get their their powers or whatever, but I don't know. Radioactive spider bites me. I'm probably just going to get cancer and not turn into a Spider-Man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Doctor Strange, I, right. I think, is the the perfect example. You know, he he got his powers by being really smart and you know basically cracking a book. So, um, I mean, a, a lot of them in the Himalayas, but still, it was a book. Um, yeah. What else? I mean, who, who, I don't know. There, DC has Dr. Fate, but yeah, he gets I, his powers from a helmet. I don't think there would be anything stopping somebody who was, you know, a wizard or had magic powers from putting on a cape and becoming the superhero. And, and in fact, at one point, I really, I would really like to write that, uh, a mm -hmm. magical superhero um, and kind of explore that difference. Oh, but, that would be so good. So yeah, write like a write your basic urban fantasy, but have the the main character instead of putting on the trench coat and uh, you know and putting on tights and a cape. Yep, that would be fun oh. to do. Oh, see now you have to write this. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want to read this so bad. Uh, unfortunately, my plate's oh. full till twenty twenty now. No. <laughs> All right. Well, tell you if if you do write it. Make it a male protagonist and let me narrate the audiobook. <laughs> you got a deal. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds fantastic. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on with me. I've had a blast tonight. I hope this wasn't uh, terrible for you. No, it was great. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And, and anytime, uh, you know, when new books come out, when new books hit audio, when uh, the epic fantasy gets picked up, uh, basically anytime you want. Uh, we will have you back because you're fun to talk to. Thank you. Thank you. Um, have a, a wonderful evening uh, out there near Haunted Athens. You too. 
And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon patrons. There's C. Stephen Manley, Colleen O'Malley Jackson, Mike Johnson, Audiobooks After Dark, Zachary McElroy, and Dogan Foster. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to lend your support and get your name mentioned at the end of an episode like this, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash sorceress and sign up to support us at the wisecracking wizarding level or higher. Thank you so much. And that's it for this time. Thanks for dropping by. We really hope you enjoyed it and will come back and see us again. You can find Sorceress on iTunes, Stitcher, and our website, Sorceress. That's S-O-R-C-E-R-O dot U-S. And you can find me at jamesnarrates.com, where you'll find a list of audiobooks, demos, and all the usual stuff. If you're enjoying Sorceress, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you're really enjoying it, it'd be mighty kind of you to drop a buck or two in the kitty. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com forward slash sorceress, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash jamesnarrates. Any support, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated, and it'll help us keep on keeping on. So until next time, when things go bump in the night, remember to bump back. Mm-hmm. <laughs>